Hey, yes, Jesuits, if you love listening to the podcast as much as we love making it, we'd like to ask you to support the show however you can. We have launched a Buy Me a Coffee page where you can make a one-time contribution to keep the show running. And if you really, really, really love us, please consider becoming a monthly sponsor. Links to Buy Me a Coffee and becoming a monthly sponsor are in our show notes and on our website, yasjesuspod.com. If you can't donate right now, please, please consider leaving us a review on Apple and Spotify podcast, following us on social media, and sharing us with a friend. All of these things help us to bring you new episodes. So, to all the zaddies and mama bears and everyone out there who already subscribes and support us, thank you so much. We seriously could not do this without you. And now, without further ado, on to the show. Hello, kings and queens and in-between sinners, saints, and I don't know if I is or I ain't. Welcome to another peaceful, full of peace episode of Yas Jesus! That's right, we are doing a work of peace today. I'm Daniel Franzese, and I'm here with my piece of work, Bestie. <laughs> Truly. Shalom, y'all. It's Azariah Southworth. And here at Yas Jesus, we believe... Apartheid is an abomination. Peace is tough. Um, we're going to talk about more of our trip here to Israel and specifically Palestine today. Um, right after... She's not queer, but she is chosen family. The queen of Christian pop continues... No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. Uh, but the queen of Christian pop, Amy Grant, continues oh. to rack up the accolades. So Amy Grant was recently feted at the Kennedy Center Honors. And that. she is the first, Danny, the first contemporary Christian music artist to be honored by the Kennedy Center. Wow, that's great. Here's the queer twist, because you know we got a twist. Oh, you wanted a twist, eh? <laughs> On this news, music, and queer icon, Brandy Carlisle spoke with Entertainment Tonight at the Kennedy Center Honors and described Amy Grant as someone who supported her after she came out. Brandy Carlisle shared that coming out of the closet, Amy Grant was one of the first people to reach out to me and invite me on her television show in my early 20s. Just recently on social media, she's been really supportive of me and other queer artists specifically. I know she's taken some heat for it, and I know it hasn't been easy, and I admire her so much for that. She is an inspiration. Wow. Brandy Carlisle. Baby. Go Mama Amy. (laughs) Mazatov. To Amy Grant for her being feted at the Kennedy Center Honors. I mean, what an honor. What an honor. It's gorgeous. We love it. It's It's a gorgeous gorgeous honor. And um, Amy Grant, we love you. So I think that's pretty cool to say that at least Azariah especially does. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, I think that's an awesome thing to hallelujah about. But let's talk about that, Azzy, because we're at the section of our show where if you have to hallelujah about something, you get a little something extra. If you're like, Amy Grant is everything, well, we'll (laughs) hallelujah along with you. Um, And if you have a little something that's weighing heavy on your shoulders this week, a little something you need some extra prayer for, we'll Mm -hmm. pray with you and ask our uh, audience to also pray with you uh, so right. let's continue praising it up today with our praise report won't jesus do it as he and our prayer request segment the praise report says this is from shara shara says i pray that i can grow my art shop which is at shara's dot stickers and dot more 
Was it an advertisement disguised as a praise <laughs> report? Well, hallelujah, well praised and well played. Uh, we can respect that. And our producers can come to you with an advertising package for future commercials. <laughs> that will be $500, please. <laughs> Congratulations, you're already growing. But honestly, check out Shares, Stickers, and more. Why not? At S-H-A-R-A-S dot stickers dot and dot more. I want to know what the more is. I'm going to check that out after. I love that. <laughs> well, we got some more. We got yes. some more stuff coming your way. I have a praise report. A few weeks ago, I shared on an episode a prayer request. Um, that prayer request was for a family member who found a lump in their breast. And an update and a praise report is that the lump came back benign. So yes, benign. That's my praise. Yes, my favorite bingo number, benign. <laughs> yes, we love it. We love to hear it. Won't he do it? Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we also have another prayer request as he um, let's uh, make this one be as successful as that one. Yeah, this comes to us from Rachel. Rachel says, heal my body. Let me get my Italian citizenship. Hey. And let me sing for the rest of my life for a living. So that's okay. Rachel's prayer request. That sounds like Rachel, sing us a song and uh, we'll post it here at the end of the yeah, show. Absolutely. Uh, Rachel. So let's get that going out of the way. And Italian citizenship, I'm working on mine too. So you pray for me, I pray for you, okay? We gotta pray <laughs> each, all right? Everybody <laughs> gets stick some. together. <laughs> Everybody gets some. We'll definitely add you to our prayer list. Um, and stick around because we'll be right back after this with the scripture of the day. It's time for the scripture of of the the day. day. It's It's soul food. food. Yeah. (laughs) This comes to us from Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 through 39. In this scripture, Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives, where Danny and I were standing as well not too long ago. Jesus was looking over Jerusalem and lamenting. And he said, How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Mm. So, yes, Jesuits, this is the last segment of our Yes Rail series. We took a couple weeks off for Christmas and New Year's, but we are back to wrap up. Yes, Rail. Yes, because it was amazing over there. Hey, spoiler alert, on the top of atop of Mount of Olives is a camel with a little hat on. <laughs> Just spoiler alert. When you get up there, that's what's up there. <laughs> and today's episode is titled One Hour in Bethlehem because, well, I only spent one hour in Bethlehem. <laughs> Why would you go to Bethlehem, the birthplace of baby Jesus, if just for one hour? Is this a grinder hookup story? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if it was, I would have titled this episode The Not So Immaculate Conception. <laughs> That's my grinder sound impression. <laughs> <laughs> Very close. Well, <laughs> what I want to share with you and our listeners today is about what I learned is and witnessed. Is your private album? Is your private <laughs> <laughs> That's actually owned by the Tom Finland Foundation now. Oh, okay. Fair. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what I learned, what I witnessed, and uh, as I traveled from Israel to Palestine and why I was there for only one hour, because that's a story as well. Yes, as you may know from the past few episodes, Azzy and I had the privilege to travel to the Holy Land this past November. But before we left our trip, a friend asked us to reconsider. Now, there's many who believe that Israel has created an apartheid state and people around the world should boycott, sanction, and divest Israel. Correct. 
You know, I took a course in college called Religion Violence, and in that class, my professor shared about the human rights violations he witnessed and experienced firsthand when he stayed in Palestine during his annual trip to Israel. And some of those things were like how in Palestine, the Palestinians get their water um, from Israel, and they have water tanks on top of their homes that Israel come by, comes by and, and fills. And so when Israel wants to retaliate for whatever reason, they will cut off the water supply. Um, so that's one thing that he witnessed um, where he, um, he was staying in Palestine for a month and for a month, Israel cut off the water. Um, I also grew up hearing stories from my mom and dad. They went to Israel back in the 70s and Israel was a completely different place then. It was before the uh, Oslo Accords, you know, um, so totally different environment. And after our friend challenged us about going to Israel, I, I as you know, Danny, I felt really conflicted about going uh yeah you actually backed out on going like right the day before we were about to go and I had to talk you down from the ledge yeah yeah it's true. I, I just I... thought it was so important the mission that we were there to do to to bring yash jesus there to to talk to, to people to see for ourselves all of that was too important uh to yeah. let go yeah, and, and my social social justice activist heart was just like really conflicted. <laughs> I, it was weighing heavy on me. Like, is is me is my presence there in Israel contributing to the ongoing you know occupation? And so I had many conversations um, with numerous people that I trust. You being one of them, Danny, our uh, freaking deacon Ross Murray being one of them. Um, but in the end, I did decide to go. You did talk me off the ledge, and. You know, it's like what my best friend Amanda told me. She said, Azariah, just just go and and use this opportunity to learn. And so I, I did. And because I, I want to have my own firsthand experience, I wanted to be able to say, this is what I learned. This is what I saw. And this is what I've concluded on my own. And the night before you went to Palestine, we we're hanging at my hotel room. And honestly, I, once we were there, I started to get nervous for you. I, I wanted you to reconsider because just one month prior to us arriving in Israel, a young man was beheaded in Palestine. Uh, he es escaped uh, for asylum into Israel. They let him stay there, and a gang uh, kidnapped him, beheaded him, and put it on social media. I, I was concerned for your safety. This is serious stuff. And, you know, um, I don't exactly blend. I don't know about you, but I was, like, a little <laughs> nervous. I'm a giant man with a, fa with a sometimes famous face, and it's a little scary to be in situations like that. And I was really mm -hmm. concerned for you because, you know, you don't back down as a, you are an activist and you are a person who uh, has a bleeding heart and you, you, you wear it on your sleeve. And uh, I, I was fearful that if you had witnessed some, some storm of violence that you might try to step in and help somebody, or you might try to do something and put yourself in the way of danger. Yeah. Yeah. That Palestinian gay man's name was Ahmed Abu Maria. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, but like you said, he was a gay Palestinian seeking safety in Israel on a humanitarian permit, and he was applying for asylum in Canada. And as a gay man, he feared for his life in Palestine. Um, but like you said, he was kidnapped, taken back into Palestine, and then brutally murdered. Absolutely. It was terrifying. Yeah, it really was. And so your concern was legitimate. And and I knew going into it, there was a risk going to Palestine, there was a risk. I mean, I, we all grew up hearing on the news, uh, you know, about the bus bombings, another bus bombing in Israel and this and that. And I was nervous. With this news of Ahmed being murdered, and 
knowing that I was going to go into Palestine, my body quickly started recalling how to butch it up. You know, the code I, switch. yeah, exactly. I just like I did when I was a teenager. So I was conscious of what I did with my hands, how I stood and walked. I was nervous. Uh, however, I was reassured by our local guides that I should be okay. Um, I did. I did vet them. <laughs> I was like, "Are you sure we're going to be fine?" <laughs> because I tell you, once you've liberated yourself of when you're in not uh, queer friendly spaces and you feel that feeling of having to put on airs of someone that you're not. I mean, we've all perfected it. You know, we all found that sweet way to chameleon and to grow uh, the skin of our rhinoceros really quick mm-hmm. in order to be able to survive and to be able to blend and to be able to keep peace in a lot of situations. Um, And once you're free of that, once you know that you're beautiful, you're beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made. And then that all of the different idiosyncratic things about you that are just you Mm -hmm. like that make you, you are, are celebrated and loved by your, by your social circle around you, your family, even if not your immediate family, but if you're blessed as much to have your immediate family love you that way, and then to have to, you never want to put that back on for right, nobody, for right. nothing. You almost feel like when it is when it is a challenge, when you are meant to put it on, that that's the time you really need to throw the peacock feathers out and really stand up and say something <laughs> and be something and mm-hmm. like and not bite your tongue anymore because you spent so many years biting your tongue. But this is a situation where it literally could have been life, life or death. Yes. And I have to say, I have to say, Azzy, because I know that when you and I had a lot of back and forth on it, I tend to err on the level of caution when -hmm. it comes to stuff like this, because a dead activist doesn't help move any movements. Do you know what I'm saying? Unless, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes they do when they become legends because of such a tragedy, but that was not the thing that I thought that you needed to be. But in all of that, I truly did think of you as brave that you really felt that it was important enough that you found out for your own heart and your own, your own sanity after all your studying, after all of your listening skills, after all of the things that you had done after me warning you and even kind of like telling you like, like in a way, like things that should really, I wasn't even playing. I, I just, was worried about you. And I thought that you were incredibly brave. I really did. Like I, I, something I didn't want to say to you then, because I felt like that would coax you to go where I truly wanted to let, to let you have your own decision. I tried to, to, to err on the side of caution, but neutrality, because I, I needed you to make your own decision. It couldn't be swayed by me or by the show at all. Although I know how important it was for you to get to our Yash Jesuits so that they could get this information in the proper way. We didn't want to do what we often blame the church of doing, which is reading something and gatekeeping it or seeing something mm-hmm. and gatekeeping it and then giving out piecemeal the pieces that we want people to hear. Right. You were like, I want to see this whole thing for myself so I could give the. If we're going to do this mission of Yash Jesus, this mission yeah. of trying to look at things through a perspective, what better perspective than your own eyes? And I had <laughs> to send you as my eyes, but I couldn't ask you to do it, you know, because I still was committed to the mission of the things that I was doing. I mean, truly, even uh, picking... The, the types of films that we're leaving out of the LGBTQ film festival in Tel Aviv. I was trying to pick things that focused on queer joy. I had my own personal mission that I feel truly feel like if I did not attend some of the things that would have maybe won were things that focused on a more 
a backward story, a more cautionary tale, as opposed to something that just celebrated our lives. So mm-hmm. I had my own mission going on, but I, yeah. in all of this, I think I have a resolution to have with you truly that we haven't even had personally to say that I thank you for going. And I, I consider you very brave and I love you. And I just care about you so much that I was, you know, like, in my heart, it was telling me just at least warn him, you know, maybe mm-hmm. he's not a street smart. He's still True. just the kid from Indiana <laughs> with a backpack full of dildos. <laughs> Those yeah. are good choices. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I trust your decisions. <laughs> I, I trust your decisions and I trust who you are, but I just, I couldn't say like, Hey, like go do it. And then something horrible happened. And, yeah. and I, I just was so worried about you, but, yeah. Um, continue. Sorry. I just, you knew it was a risk. Yeah. I, I, so, you know, Jesus is always going to be where the, the oppressed are and going to Israel, I wanted to experience Jesus in Israel. And so that's a big reason, motivating factor why I wanted to go to Palestine, because I knew that these were oppressed people and that's where I would find Jesus as well. And that's exactly what I happened uh, or what happened. You so, weren't doing it from a place of like, I want the full experience. I need the extra excursion of vision. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm right, saying? Like, right. that's the part of it that was like, you were, th- that was really impressive to me is this was coming from like a visceral, I need to know yeah. basis, Yeah, you know? And so, so what did you learn? Well, in a nutshell, uh, what I learned is Israel has created an apartheid state. And many people will disagree with me, but I, I want you guys to hear me out. Look, you're not alone in that statement. You know, in, in 24, this is a 2014 article uh, in the Jerusalem Post uh, that Nobel Peace Laureate, civil rights leader, and first black archbishop of Cape Town, Desmond Tutu, shared with the Jerusalem Post. Quote, I have witnessed the systematic humiliation of Palestinian men, women, and children by members of the Israeli security forces. He continued sharing, their humiliation is familiar to all black South Africans who were corralled and harassed and insulted and assaulted by the security forces of the apartheid government. Yes. Additionally, the General Synod for the United Church of Christ adopted a resolution in 2021 that refers to Israel's apartheid system of laws and legal procedures. Former UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon stated Israel's actions constituted as an apartheid. More recently, in 2022, the U.S. Presbyterian Church and World Council of Churches agreed that Israel's actions have amounted to apartheid. Here, yes, Jesus, we believe Israel has the right to exist. We want that to be clear. Absolutely. I like it's such an piece is tough. I wore a shirt when I went there, like uh, to that said that because the hairline moments of 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 some of these details are um, extremely complicated. There's like from the top to the bottom. There's nothing simple about this situation, right? And we're not the authorities on this but i have i have studied i have listened and now i have seen and it's absolutely correct that we believe and we affirm that israel has the right to exist but in the same breath israel's government is not above making grave errors such as apartheid and the israeli government is not without the ability to end their apartheid when we were in Israel, one of the people who strongly disagreed that Israel has not created an apartheid state was one of our local guides. He was someone who served in the Israeli army and identifies as a liberal. 
And I asked him why he believed Israel has not created an apartheid state. And their answer was because apartheids are about racial discrimination. That was the only reason. So I was left to infer that Palestinians are not a race. Therefore, there is no racial discrimination, thus no apartheid. What's the definition of race? Like like the dictionary definition. Race is defined as a category of humankind that shares certain distinctive physical traits. The term ethnicities is more broadly defined as large groups of people classed according to common racial, national, tribal, religious, linguistic, or cultural origin or background. So are Palestinian people not a group of people who share a common cultural, geographical, linguistic, and religious origin or background? Yes. Palestinian people are a race by definition, and the most common argument used to explain why Israel is not an apartheid state holds no water. Our tour guide was not the only one to make this argument. This is the most common argument as to why Israel has not created an apartheid state. So I was put into contact uh, with someone by the name of Erez through a mutual friend, and Erez works for a nonprofit in Israel that strives to work for peace and justice for Israelis and Palestinians. We agreed to meet in Jerusalem at the Austrian Pilgrim Hospice. It is the oldest Christian guest house in the city. We talked for more than an hour about the Israeli and Palestinian conflict before we walked to the bus station to go to Bethlehem. In our conversation, Izar taught me something that I was about to witness firsthand. So the Palestinians who commute daily to Jerusalem for work, began their day by lining up around 3 to 4 a.m. to get their daily work permit. They then get on a packed bus, arrive at the Palestinian and Israeli border check, get off the bus to be checked by security, get back on the bus, and arrive in Jerusalem to begin their workday usually by 7 a.m. Can you imagine that being your daily routine? Like you have to be in line by 3 to 4 o'clock in the morning to get your daily work permit. And then you have to get on a bus, get off a bus, get back on a bus to get to work by 7 a.m. And if they miss their deadline, they don't work that day. Right. So their daily work permits also expire the evening of that same day. So if they are not out of Jerusalem and back in Palestine by the time their work permit expires, they will be fined 5,000 Israeli shekels, which is equivalent to about 1,600 U.S. dollars. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. So like the rush at the the time limit must be insane. What's that like every day, do you know? I mean, we spoke with um someone by the name of Muhammad who we're going to get into the conversation here in just a little bit, but that's his daily experience. It's, it's I'm not a making long a joke. Long ass line. I'm not making a joke or light of yeah. this here, but I lived in Jackson Heights, Queens, mm-hmm. and I had to get on the train in the morning mm-hmm. to work at a moving company with my uncle, which was even worse cuz he would kill me, please, if I was late <laughs> and I'm the nephew. And I had to be in like Times Square area by like 6 a.m. So that time, right before everyone's got to be to work, mm-hmm. the train would go by like two or three times before I could even get on it. Mm-hmm. And it would make me late. Like I was like pushing people just to like get in on the train. I couldn't even fit on the train sometimes. I can't imagine what it's like in a situation where I would be fined $1,600 and it's this, there's the same time crunch here. Like, oh. are there enough tra- buses? Like, it, it just seems like a very volatile 
situation and not a smooth running situation. Right. So this is one hurdle that the Israeli government puts in front of the Palestinian people. So we're going to get into like how many bus lines there are here in just a little bit. So when I was with Azar, it was at the end of the workday when we arrived at the bus station. And there are usually two bus lines that take the Palestinian workers from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. But there was only one that was working that day because of an Orthodox Jewish holiday being celebrated at Rachel's tomb. So two bus lines are usually taking people back into Palestine. But that day that we went, there was only one. So can you imagine how much busier it was and then how much probably more stress were on people to get back just the logistics of it were difficult, right? I mean, I'm even just thinking about like checking each permit for each person. Like, it's like, it just seems like... Well, as you're getting on the bus, they're not checking permits. It's when you get to the border. And when you get to the border, Palestinians have to get off, but Israelis and foreigners do not have to get off the bus. So Palestinians will have to get off the bus to be checked for everything. So as we were standing in line uh, waiting to catch the bus, I, I started understanding the urgency why people wanted to pack themselves on the bus. And I witnessed a woman who looked like she was probably in her 60s, you know, someone, you know, my mom's age, your mom's age, trying to get on the bus. That's who I saw. I saw my mom, right, trying to get on the bus. And she, this woman was carrying these large bags in both hands, like not the best with her balance shopping bag type things. Yeah. And she had like a yellow bucket as well. Um, I have a video of it because I I wanted to like remember things accurately. And she was the last person to get on the bus. And when she first stepped up onto the bus, the doors couldn't close. There were too many people, Mm. but like a game of Tetris, you know, everyone shifted and all of a sudden I'm talking about that (laughs) feeling is horrible too, because you're like, If everybody just takes a step and then you start to like hate people that are like, right, <laughs> not like just come on, bro, give me one move over. Right, exactly. But and it's not only just that, but like I'm 36 years old and I'm physically able. But when I got on the bus and I was squished and it was shoulder to shoulder, and I was having to hold the the handle above my head for what should have been a 15 minute ride, it took us two hours and. My body was tired. It was aching. It was sore. And so these people who are elderly and less able than me, I can't imagine what that daily commute is like for them. This is just one aspect of it. But while we were on the bus, uh, Azar and I struck up a conversation with someone by the name of Muhammad. And he told us a little bit about his experience. Muhammad is an engineer and he commutes daily to work on the sewage pipes in Israel. He's married and has two little girls. And in our conversation with him, he expressed his frustration about that day's event, uh, only one bus line operating and the time it was taking to get home. And he wanted to get home to his family like we all do. As we talked more, Mohammed shared about how the Israeli army killed one of his cousins. And he was very strong in his conviction that this land also belonged to the Palestinians because for generations, he and his family have lived there. But Palestinians have no rights. So if you're not familiar with this at all, they cannot vote, they cannot build. And Muhammad said something that broke my heart. He said, we have no hope. There is no hope for us. And before we got off the bus, I asked Muhammad if there was a prayer that he prayed every day. And he said that, I pray my family makes it through the day and I make it home to my family. That is what I pray for every day. 
So I also asked Mohammed, how can people from the outside like me help? And he just said, just share our stories accurately. So that's what I felt compelled to do for this episode. That's what I always feel. It's just like it, I, when you have no words, just play their words. Like I said, every detail of this is so incredibly complicated, but to give a voice to Muhammad is something that you had the ability to do and you did. And I think that that's beautiful. I mean, if that's a prayer request, uh, that is the prayer request, you know, uh, right. to pray for uh, Muhammad and and his family because oh, uh, these struggles, this, there's so many struggles out there, you know, and it's amazing that you were able to uh, give him a voice. Yeah. So yes, Jesu, it's what I've what just in a nutshell. Like this is just one daily aspect that they one hurdle that they go through, and they don't even have the right to vote for leaders in uh, positions of authority who can change this for them. So it's left up to us to educate ourselves, to listen, and to share. And America plays a huge role in this apartheid. We give more than $3 billion to Israel every year, and we supply them with military weapons. So I just urge listeners to educate yourselves. And if you feel compelled, you know, contact your local congressperson or senator, state and federal, and send them a letter and email and just letting them know that it's time for Israel to end its apartheid and occupation of the Palestinian people that the Palestinian people have a right to exist and to set their own destiny and to, and to be free. So that's, that is a prayer. That's my prayer. And I'm grateful for my time there. I'm grateful for everyone who took time to talk to me about all of this and for our local guides and for, for everyone's guidance through all of this. Um, so Asi, we're so thankful for you for, uh, going to the little town of Bethlehem for us and going there and, and, and finding uh, stories to tell us about your experiences because I mean, not many people are going to experience that or see that firsthand. And so um, we just, I just really appreciate you doing that and bringing it here for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for your tithe, your love offering, everyone, your charity, your act of good this week, Check out BreakingTheSilence.org. They're an Israeli non-government organization made up of veterans who served in the Israeli military since the start of the Second Intifada and have taken it upon themselves to expose the Israeli public to the reality of everyday life in occupied territories. So to learn more or support their work, visit BreakingTheSilence.org. Now, y'all may have followers, but if your followers are not actively engaging with each other, learning from each other, and vibing regularly, then you don't really have anything, you know? So we need you. We need a community. Please reach out to us. We just want to know who you are. We want to feel your presence. Let us know who you are, what you're thinking, what you're praying about. Um, and pray with us now um, as we're going to close out in prayer, Azzy. Um, Again, Azzy, thank you so much. I love you. I mean, really, like, your spirit is just so strong. And it was... Um, Nice to wit witness your conviction. Uh, um, as we bow our heads right now, we, uh, Father God, we are praying for peace. And we know that prayers for peace are not easy uh, because what we really need is action. Um, God, peace is work, and it will take all of us to do that work. Give us that strength and the armor of God to, to be able to face and resolve and share these stories and to listen. Give us that patience, the patience of a seed to just listen to somebody when they're telling their story and to 
and to understand what it what it takes to achieve peace in this world. Uh, Putting ourselves in in another person's position and thinking about what it would be like for them for a day. Yes. And we pray for an end of anti-Semitism in the U.S. and around the world. We pray for the people of Palestine. We pray for Muhammad and his family and his two little girls who are living under harsh conditions. Give them your protection. May they have hope, the hope that only you can give us. We also pray for an end to Islamophobia. Amen. And anti-Semitism. We need to uh, coexist in this world, God, and we pray for that. Uh, We pray for um, all of these people who need our attention and support right now while um, while, uh, crazy people are running rampant and saying insane things out there in the world. And and we pray for Shara. Let her art shop grow. Uh, art is a gift that you give us, God. You give us our abilities to do things. And when we find an ability um, that you have given us to do and to create and to make, and then it can also support us, that is a blessing. So let her blessing flourish. Let people invest in all queer artists to make this world a more beautiful and inclusive place. We also pray with Rachel. Let her be a singer, an Italian singer (laughs) with dual citizenship. Yes. Heal her body. Let Rachel be everything that you made her to be. Yes. And we give thanks for the gorgeous light that Amy Grant is and her contribution to music in the contemporary Christian music industry, as well as the music industry overall. Keep making her the queer Christian icon that me, Brandy Carlisle, and Flamey Grant need. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Oh, I love you, Ezzy. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Yash Jesus. You can find us on social media at Yash Jesus Pod or on our website at YashJesusPod.com. If you like the show, please make a donation through buying us the coffee, which is not actually a coffee. It's actually like wires and batteries and shit we need. Uh, Hit that button uh, right on our webpage and also consider becoming a monthly sponsor. Uh, You can find the link to do so in the show notes. And if you haven't yet, leave us a review. Share us with a friend. Give us five stars. Come on. Doing so helps us reach new people. And it doesn't question nothing. You can now leave an audio prayer request or praise report on our website, yasjesuspod.com. We would love to share your voice and your prayers on the show. So drop us a line or send us a recording on yasjesuspod.com. Yes, send us stuff. Send us your praise reports, your prayer requests, ideas for episodes. Or do you want a guest on the show? Let us know. Mm-hmm. Or just send us a shalom or a salam. We want to hear any or a salami for me. We would love to hear <laughs> anything for you. Okay, so Yash Jesus is hosted by me, the also waiting for my Italian passport, Danny Francesi, and <laughs> Azariah Southworth. Music, sound, editing, and all things audio are done by Chris Heckman. Our show is produced by the freaking Deacon Ross Murray and Meredith Pauly. We are streaming and screaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And whether you're Jewish or Gentile, it doesn't matter, queen, king, or beyond because God loves you just as you are. That's right. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Keep praising the Lord, y'all. 